that being said, you know, I really feel that uh, you got to go through some of this to uh, to win. Um, I think we've seen that all the way through. So it's the last time. What's up? Welcome back to the Crude Oil Podcast. It's episode number 46. Sean, how you feeling, dude? Dejected, I guess. I I don't really know. I don't have many words for how shitty it feels, but... Uh, Man, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm also very burnt out from the season. Like, the hockey season <laughs> is a, a fucking grind, so I'm not going to say I'm relieved that it's over with, because uh, I'm definitely disappointed, but... In the back of my mind, I am looking forward to having some of my nights of the week back versus watching hockey three to four nights a week. Are you going into a little bit of a depression like I am? A little bit of a sad season? <laughs> yeah, probably. I think a lot of people are feeling that. Um, and then it's probably going to be like a bell curve where I'm going to like feel good or like feel shitty and then I'm going to feel good in the middle of the season because I'm like, okay, like or the middle of the off season anyways, and be like, oh yeah, like it's nice not to have to watch hockey. And then as it ramps up to season, I'm going to get hyped again. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Uh, let's, let's jump right into things. The Edmonton Oilers dropping uh, the, the Western conference semifinals to the Vegas Golden Knights four to two. Uh, we're recording this. We wanted to wait till after the exit interviews and everything. We're all uh, uh, done. Just, kind of get some thoughts and rather than go and recap the entire season just spend we've got so much time on our hands right now that we figured we we'd spend an episode now kind of going over the the postseason uh the exit interviews how the rest of that uh series actually shook out and then uh we'll do a better job because this what happened with this team i feel throughout the the bulk of the 82 game series is something that is gonna kind of be tarnished if we like try to reflect on it now i don't know if you feel the same way well i definitely feel the same way like um and quite honestly like a lot of people are i think the word that people like to use on twitter is doomers there's a Mm. lot of doomers out there right now but people got to realize that you can't win the cup every year you can't make it to the finals every year you can't make it to the conference finals every year like we're not currently anyways the tampa bay lightning dynasty and even then (laughs) they got swept then they won the cup two years in a row, then made the cup finals, and then lost in the first round. So, like, <laughs> it's a very up and down thing in the NHL. There's a lot of randomness involved when you look at things like injuries and suspensions, which we'll, we'll get into, uh, penalties from mm-hmm. the refs, and there's lots of human error involved. You can look at in the first series with, like, Skinner's broken stick. Like, anything can just randomly happen, honestly. Yeah, it's it's such a, like, toss-up. Um, I, I was listening to another podcast, uh, completely unrelated to hockey and everything. And, um, they're talking about the Bruins and how they're so shocked about how, uh, um, you can have a team that, you know, performs so well in the regular season, but the comment back, which kind of resonated with me is that hockey is such a fucking toss up when you get to playoffs. Like it's just a throw it in the mixer. Like you never know what you're going to, uh, get spat out. So, um, yeah, it's it's something we'll we'll take some time to to put together. I know we've done some digging on and some notes and stuff, but uh, uh, I keep going back to Ken Holland's comments. Uh, I don't I don't know which reporter asked him, but they're asking about the the completion. I, I think he said it's devastated. Probably 
two dozen times. Um, it's devastating. And then he said it's hard about five times in a row about how, how difficult it actually is to win. And he, he kind of wrapped it all up by saying um, how uh, that's the reason that you party so hard when you win the Stanley Cup is because it's, it's a lifelong goal. But uh, let's just get into the series uh, where we left off and kind of everything that sh- shook out with the, the stuff. Let, let's start on the suspension stuff because I know you brought up the refing and the human error. I think it's, I'm pretty comfortable in saying this is the worst officiated playoffs across the NHL um, that I've seen in a long, long time. I think I would agree with that, maybe partly because I'm paying more attention because people are getting more and more angry each year at the refereeing. Mm. Um, maybe because technology is improving, we're paying more attention and et cetera, et cetera. But with that being said, like, I don't think anybody could look at this series and say that it was refed properly, like whether or not you want, like, you think the refs were doing a good job controlling the game in the sense of like game management when the game was getting out of hand, say, for example, Um, they did a shit job of that. They were just kicking guys out and still not accomplishing anything. Like you saw the one statistic that there was 13 misconducts when uh, Vegas was losing and zero when Edmonton was losing because Vegas would just throw hissy fits and then the refs mm. couldn't do anything about it. Like realistically, they should have kicked the Vegas players out and just gave Edmonton a power play for the rest of the game because like Vegas was just not being able to comprehend losing in those games. And well, yeah, it, it's a great point because I, I just want to pull up, make sure I'm talking about the right game. But uh, I watched those NHL uh, hunt for the cup or whatever the hell it is. Um, and they were showing like the different uh, games back and forth. Um, and in game two, like when they're handing out all those suspensions or the like 10 minute misconducts at the end of the game, the, there's a clip like, cause all the players are mic'd up, but the rest are talking to Evander Kane and he's like, they're going to run you. And he's like, well, yeah, no, like, so we're giving you a 10. He's like, why am I getting a 10? They said, cause every time you're on the ice, you're going to start something. He's like, why the fuck is that my problem? Like, you know what I mean? It's just, I'm with you. Throw, throw one team on the power play and just end the game. Well, it, it just doesn't make sense why, like, I think it was the Yamamoto one, too, when he got, like, mm. thrown into the bench and somehow he got kicked out of the game. Yeah. Just, like, kind of confused with what's going on. But, like, besides that, because those are misconducts, they don't make much of an impact on the game. Of the course. Games are over. But those led to the uh, Petrangelo suspension, which... Yeah we can get into here as well as the nurse suspension. So first of all, I'm curious, what is your take on the Petrangelo suspension in terms of, was it enough? Uh, I don't think it's enough. I was thinking two games at least. Um, I, I, I think again, I'm a little bit biased, especially hearing his bullshit response in the, in the presser and how everything was premeditated and all this other stuff. And then he kind of gave the illusion to like dry subtle line on the ice. Um, uh, Connor McDavid wrapped it up perfectly time score clock like all play a factor in that stupid decision and he went like swinging from the fences on that that's that's as intentional as things get in hockey um, and I think when I look at that I, I automatically look to what happened with nurse I know they're independent but so here's here's my issue with it um my problem is that the rule that used to exist with the instigator penalty 
did not exist within Department of Player Safety. And it got recently transferred there. So now you have the same guy in George Peros and his committee making the decision based off of an incident that implicates two teams in the same series. And it's the easiest thing in the world just to say, okay, you both get a thing, you're out, your best defenseman and whatever. Um, I, I just, I, I think it's horseshit, man, because then you're, you're looking at what Darnell nurse did and we all know the backstory to uh, the fact that he was being challenged before the, uh, the, the puck drop. And you're basically giving an equitable punishment for something which is a blatant intent to injure. I, I just don't get it. I do agree with you in the fact that them deciding, for example, if it did play into it at all, I don't know if it did, feels like it does, whether or not they were like, oh, you get a game, you get a game, they just want an equitable deal there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's fucking horseshit regardless because the two incidents, like you said, are not connected. The two mm-hmm. incidents are not equal in terms of what happened. And like, frankly, it's just kind of a joke. And if anything, it shines a worse light on them that they decided to go that route than if they were to do it any other way and properly suspend players for the things that they are doing. And yeah. I think it's fucking horseshit that people do the stupid mental gymnastics where it's like, oh, yeah, one uh, one playoff game in the first round is worth three regular season games. Oh, yeah. And then in the second round, it's worth like five regular season games. Like, that's fucking bullshit. So, like, if you're in the cup final, you can go and fucking murder a guy on the ice and you yeah, won't get suspended because, exactly. like, oh, that's like a whole season. We couldn't do that. That that doesn't make sense at all. We can't do that. Like, that's bullshit, baby-ass kindergarten thinking. Like, George Peros is a smart guy. Honestly, he's he's well-educated. He should be able to think critically about these kind of things and make better, well-informed decisions. And quite frankly, he's not. And it's embarrassing for the league. Yeah, I... <sighs> It's so dumb, man. Like I'm with you with the that whole equitable piece where they keep talking about how, yeah, it's worth three regular season games. The reason that whole fucking ideology exists is because they used to put their whistles away in playoffs. It's because you used to have to have a fairly egregious, you know, event to take a penalty, nevertheless, like a suspension. And yes, there's more importance about stuff like that, but everything's being called like the tic tac bullshit penalties are being called. Like you got to treat it equal. If you're going to call that like regular stuff as penalties, like it's just, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I think they have so much room for improvement with the officiating and it starts and ends with just fucking being vulnerable and quit being the, the, the marketing team that, tries to sell the fact that they think this is the best officiated sport in all of the big four. It's just, it's not, it's not even close. Well, honestly, if, even if it is the best officiated sport, which like I'm, I'm cocky enough with our sport to be like, yeah, probably is. That's embarrassing for everybody because it's Mm. fucking garbage. So how bad is everything else? So like, I don't know. At the end of the day, I understand human error plays into it. The only thing yeah. I care about is consistency, and I don't see any sort of consistency with something, some bullshit like Petrangelo did with intent to injure at the end of the game. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. And, like, to get into the nurse thing a little bit, because I never really got into it. Um, right. The more I've thought about it, the more I think that a suspension may have been warranted. 
Only in the sense, like, I know there's all the up in the air about whether or not it should have been an instigator and if that should have been called back because he's been challenged to fights and everything. But mm-hmm. I believe Nurse or whoever they asked the question to during the post-game interviews specified that Nurse didn't want to take, like, go off the ice because he didn't think it was worth fighting, like, uh, fighting Hague because it's not an equitable transaction. So he went and fought right. him at the end of the game because he's like, it doesn't matter at this point, so I'll just go do it now. Mm-hmm. So maybe with that thinking, it warrants a suspension, but that could be whole other rules that I'm not even considering at this point. So, but yeah, it's, it's kind of similar to the way that Petrangelo did it, where he's like, the game's over. It doesn't fucking matter. I'm just going to do this to dry sidle. Maybe he gets injured and then it makes the series easy for us. Yeah. Yeah, the suspensions I kind of find a little bit independent because you do have a review process and stuff like that you have to go through. Um, I'm not happy with the way things shook out. Like, I never asked you, what do you, what do you think a proper suspension should have been for the Petrangelo? My thought was uh, three games, I would have been like, like pleasantly surprised. Two yeah. games is what I wanted. One game is what I expected. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, and I was kind of at the thing where it's like, okay, if you give him one game, there's no way in hell you can give Nurse one game for that. But, I mean, was that's what I feel, and what I kind of assumed was going to happen is exactly what shook out. So, um, and the, so kind of shifting away from the Department of Player Safety, um, the referee, and just to tie out my thoughts, like, I want to be very clear that the referee, I felt, got better as the series went on. Um, but again, to your point, like it, it was just non-existent in terms of consistency, like especially in game six, they let team, like both teams get away with murder in the first period. And then the first penalty they call in the seconds, the like biggest, like baby shit stuff like I've ever seen. It's, I just don't get it. And I don't know if it comes down to game management. I, I truly don't know. Cause I hate using that excuse, but you can't help but wonder. Yeah, I was personally not a fan of, I believe it was the, ah, fuck, now my brain's not working. Was it the Broberg, like, holding slash interference thing that they called? Yeah. Like, that was ticky-tacky as fuck, and then they go and just decide not to call that huge high stick on Echo, which everybody saw in the interviews today. <laughs> Absolutely fucked him up. Yeah. Like, it was the most clear cut blatant high stick I've ever seen in my life. And they're just like, nah, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Like that, that was a fucking joke. And you get all this talk about, even if the refs aren't fucking managing the game, like they like to say and talk about, and everybody says like, why did they never manage the game in our favor? It's like, Mm -hmm. what is it? Game one, they call that bullshit too many men penalty. And then in this game with what five minutes left, they're not calling that shit on Echo where he's bleeding everywhere because he got high sticked in the fucking eye. Like, God damn, that's embarrassing. Yeah, it's. Yeah, again, I hate complaining about the referee and I know that the Oilers have more than enough problems at them themselves, but it's that's something that you could you know, hopefully have as a static variable, like something that you you don't really, or a fixed variable, something you're not really anticipating to change too much, but it was, it was touch and go the whole time. Well, like just a final thought regarding the referee or the refing is that the refing did not lose us the series. It didn't do us any favors by any stretch, 
but it's not the reason we lost. And you can never blame the refs for the reason that you lost. I think that's a perfect segue into the reasons why we did. So I'm going to I'm going to table that and just throw over to you and I want to get your initial thoughts what the biggest problems were and maybe maybe some 2020 hindsight things that you would have changed. I think number 1 that I want to see changed next season is that we need to do something with our defensive system. Mm-hmm. Because I felt in the playoffs and in the regular season um it failed us time and time and time again. They finally cleaned it up in the last 15 games or so of the regular season, which was great. But then at times during the playoffs, they completely fell apart again. You could yeah. look at both game five and game six, where we just had no ability to hold a, hold the lead whatsoever and gave Vegas like three goals in game five and four goals unanswered in game six. Like that's mm-hmm. just not good. It's just not enough. And I like our decor. I think they're pretty good. And yeah, ultimately, I just don't know what else to say other than I personally believe that defense is the reason we lost. I think we scored enough goals. I think Skinner played very well. And the goals that did go in on him were generally because we had zero defensive pressure whatsoever. There's guys wide open in in front of the net just tapping pucks in. Mm. but yeah. that's my thoughts what are yours yeah I, I definitely agree with the the defense and again something that we've noticed all season long and we've been talking about it to to wit's end but it feels like the every single time this team scores a goal the next shift is like such a fucking like 50 50 toss-up like you don't know if the team's gonna get just completely melt how many goals did we see like shift right after we scored or goals against like it's there's no composure and I completely agree. The defense is, um, and, and not defense as in positions, but like defensive responsibilities, um, across the entire team is just like, it, it was just like Swiss cheese. It, it was so many holes in it. And, uh, I think like, it sounds like we're taking away from Vegas, but we, we started to see it even in the LA series. Like, you can make an adjustment on Edmonton, especially when it comes to the forechecking against them and have so much success because the team is still trying to like figure out why they're letting in goals in the first place. And I mean, I go back to the Calgary series, Calgary figured it out really quickly. And I think that's just the, the biggest piece that the Edmonton Oilers need to work on Uh, with respect to the goaltending situation. That's the number two thing. Um, I don't want to take away from Stuart Skinner um, because he's he's 24 years old. He's a rookie. He's playing the most back-to-back hockey he's ever played in the NHL. Uh, I just think, and he's he in his post-game uh, comments, he's talking about how it, his confidence wasn't an issue. Uh, but I mean, not all those goals were his fault. But when you give up four goals on 15 shots, 16 shots, you've been pulled. What was it? Four times in eleven games. Um, you gotta start thinking that maybe there's a bit of doubt creeping in. And uh, he, he said something that I, I found really kind of profound in those post game comments about how 
he's like, uh, he's like, I'm good at bouncing back. I've done it before. I've done it my entire career. Um, but he said, confidence wasn't my issue. And I was like, it kind of sounded like a bit of a contradiction. Um, because he, he's saying he's, it's not confidence. It's something else, which is means he's lacking confidence in his performance. Like, I, I don't know. Um, I, I truly thought uh, Jack Campbell should have had game six, but I can, I can understand why, why uh, Woodcroft went back. I just thought it was a little too late. And I, I think the goaltending change needed to be a lot earlier, but again, hindsight 2020. Well, that's the big thing is like a lot of people are going to say, especially the people who were saying it before that, like we should have started Campbell. We should have started Campbell, blah, 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 blah. But like, ultimately we did only score two goals in that last. That's game. so true. And, I would say at least three of their goals were essentially tap-ins because of our lack of defensive awareness. So realistically, we would have still lost three to two. Um, with that being yeah. said, I do agree that I like personally, I, I think I clicked on some fucking Twitter poll where I said, let's start Jack Campbell. But um, I still in every game that I think Skinner got pulled, maybe one of the goals I would blame on him maybe like two if say for example they scored four on him but like the other ones were of like avoidable through good defensive coverage and I would say almost every single pull was just to wake the team up in front of him versus yes. yeah. doing anything else and like I don't want to take away from Campbell cuz when he came in relief he was fantastic he's he was pretty much what we wanted originally when we signed him so yeah. I'm optimistic going into next year that maybe he has found his game a little bit and kind of built up a more of a wall in his mind and he can play a little bit more solidly. And mm. that's that that's one of the things I think that's important to build off of going into next season is Skinner got tons of experience playing these games, which is fantastic. Campbell got some more confidence by coming in and playing really well. And I think the two of them as a tandem going into next year is kind of a potential bright spot for us. I'm going to be very optimistic with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I've got a definitely a, a positive outlook for it. Um, doesn't help feeling sad right now, but uh, one, one last thing that I wanted to kind of touch on um, chatting on Twitter. Um, we're talking to uh, Brad Lauder there. He, he was uh, one of our followers mentioning how, the biggest piss off is he was paying close attention to the the physicality of the series. He could name one player in Yamamoto being the only player to lay a four check on a defenseman in on like in the offensive end. And it it was true and it's something that I kept paying attention to. The physicality didn't exist like on the four check. The only time this team seemed to be going for the body, it felt, was in our defensive end. And I felt like Vegas was too smart to evade things. Like I, I found Edmonton like puck watching in their own end. And I think it was because it went body first, puck second. And Vegas just made so many different changes to that. And I think that's why we ran into like that complete onslaught that you saw in, in game six with the three back-to-back goals. Like Edmonton was just like trying to start something by by laying the body and Vegas picked up, uh, picked up on it like right away. Yeah, like one thing I will give Vegas props for, obviously, is their forecheck was relentless. You mm-hmm. saw it in game five, especially. I think it was like the last five minutes almost of the game. They spent it in Edmonton's zone, even though we were down by a goal. Like they were just 
Like they're exact they were playing exactly the way I wanted Edmonton to play whenever we had a lead, which is to play like you're losing and go in there and forecheck your ass off because the best defense yeah. is offense. And that should really be how Edmonton should play all their games. Is like they should forecheck relentlessly. And if it does go back into their zone, they should just try to create turnovers in the transition because that's also a strength of their games. Like, obviously, way easier said than done. But, yeah, like, I don't know if I necessarily agree that we didn't have, like, a good forecheck, for example. Um, and I only say that because I believe Edmonton, after the second round, was leading the playoffs in hits. And, like, I don't think you could do that without laying some hits on their defensemen, especially. So I think well, it was, I think it was yeah. Petrangelo and White Cloud who had taken the most hits outside of Miro Heiskanen or something like that. Oh, geez, so I didn't clearly that. they were forechecking and laying hits onto those defensemen. And you could hear the frustration on Petrangelo himself where he's bitching and moaning that he's being targeted. It's like, well, no shit, you're <sighs> being targeted. You're their number one defenseman. Why aren't you targeting our number one defenseman? Like, figure it out. Yeah. Uh, one thing that also rubs me wrong is how like you can bitch and whine and complain and then go up and put up like plus four the next game, be the best defenseman in the night and be like, oh, like get the fuck out of here. <laughs> um, the best tweet I saw the entire night was uh, regarding the uh, Greg Wyshynski. Wyshynski? I slipped on my word there. Um, when uh, he showed Dreisaitl shaking hands, he kind of just grabbed his hand. And he said he's probably upset because he didn't anticipate he'd have to shake his hand in game six. Like he shouldn't be playing. Um, but I don't know. It is what it is, man. And I just feel like I'm whining myself. Well, <laughs> like we can sit here and complain about that suspension, but Edmonton still lost the game that he yeah, was suspended. Yeah, so, man. Like the point is moot anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it didn't really help having to go to bed at 11 o'clock. I did not, like, fall asleep till 1 a.m. on Monday morning. Like. I mean, you can blame ESPN and baseball for that. Oh, man, this is so tough because I am. First off, I'm I'm a gigantic baseball fan. Secondly, I'm a huge Red Sox fan. But both of those um, those reasons, like, why the fuck is this game on over an NHL game? Was like, it a Red Sox game? Yeah, yeah. And, and they're losing 9-1. to one. Yeah, I think... I can't remember which NHLer tweeted about that, but somebody was bitching. Troy Stetcher. Troy Stetcher, yeah. He uh, he said he missed three the first three goals of the game because they were early in the game because he had to watch some 9-1 to one baseball <laughs> yeah. blowout. And yeah. I believe both the teams, like, I don't know, you know more baseball than I. Um, they're both like quote-unquote bottom feeder so far this season they're yeah, not doing very yeah. well so it's like yeah. how is this primetime tv over an elimination playoff game Ugh. like just and like how many fucking games do they have that they can maybe put it put it on espn too man yeah well apparently espn declined and it's like why did why is it not in the fucking contract <laughs> that the nhl has a bit more power here like holy what's, fuck what's the dodgeball channel espn ocho yeah <laughs> espn <laughs> ESPN ate the Ocho. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I I don't know, man. It's it's been a few days now, and I don't know if I'm gonna pay like a lot of attention to what's going on in the rest of the playoffs. Obviously, Vegas. Kudos to them. Uh, moving onwards, um, I was just more so intrigued to see like what made up the Edmonton Oilers in terms of. Um, 
their their mental like status, how they felt they performed. Uh, biggest thing that I was really intrigued to find out was the injuries, and we didn't get a shitload of information there, did we? No, not at all. Uh, apparently, I think it was Woodcroft said in his exit interview that he's going to leave it to the players whether or not they mm. want to share that information. And then in Hyman's exit interview, he pretty much said like, yeah, I had something. It was slowly getting better as the playoffs went on, but he wouldn't tell us what what it was, essentially. Yeah. And yeah. like, I get it. That's privacy or whatever. But I think some people would like to know so they can maybe hang that on like the reason why a player wasn't performing well. Like say, yeah. for example, like I'm still very, very curious whether or not Nuge had something going on with him because was, it would just give me a sense of relief to know like, right. Oh, he had a fucking high ankle sprain and that's why he wasn't playing very well or something like that. Yeah. Like that's, that was going to be my question because I know, um, I I've heard and seen these rumors about a broken finger for Evander Kane and have not like, I have no idea where it came from. I believe I read that it was Frank Cervelli said something on a podcast. Oh, okay. If I'm yes. not mistaken, I might be mistaken, but somebody said something on a podcast that he had a broken finger. Yeah. And like, it's different when you have people like Fogel who has a wrist injury and has been dealing with it forever and you can announce something like that because the guy might need surgery, might delay his training or his availability for camp. Or, um, but like the the bumps and bruises and whatever that's going to heal by the time next season starts. Like, I kind of respect just not saying anything. It would be nice as as fans and stuff to kind of have some closure to it or some kind of excuse. But I, I get it. I get it. I mean, I will say though, you brought up. Uh... Bogle's wrist injury I will give kudos to him because I think it's apparently he's had this injury since February but I would argue he's been playing fantastic since February so yeah like whatever he's playing through he's been doing a great job at being effective regardless of his injury I'm glad you brought that up because I think I have had such a massive turnaround on my um my love for Warren Fogle and Matthias Janmark uh, in this lineup, um, you heard the comments today about Derek Ryan saying how he wants to finish his career here. Like, such a complete turnaround, I think, for the bottom six uh, and, and the work ethic. So, I think if he was dealing with a wrist injury since February, you wouldn't have known any different. For sure. And I would like to also just uh, correct myself. Apparently, it was Bob Stoffer who revealed on some show that he oh. was uh, playing with a broken finger. Oh, okay. That's. That's fair. Uh, he seems to be he he's he's staffed by the Oilers, right? Uh, probably. I don't know that information. I, I ain't got no contract in front of me. I can't. <laughs> I I do like the fact that like every. I thought it was a very heads up play because Jason Greger was trying to get that out of Woodcroft today, just being like, "What's happening? What's going on?" We asked him yesterday, and he's like, "Uh, if he didn't tell you, I'm not gonna tell you." So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but let's dive into these exit interviews and, and some thoughts. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is Stuart Skinner and his broken, uh, stick story. Um, kind of a cool, cool little, uh, memento from the playoffs. Why is it important to keep that stick and that memory? Yeah, I think, I think it's 
it, it's important for me because it's a reminder, um, you know, it's a reminder that things, you know, it, it's life. Um, you know, all of us in this room have, have experienced that, you know, things don't go well all the time. Uh, you're going to get knocked down, um, you know. If you watch Rocky Balboa movies, it's not about how many times you get knocked down, right? It's about how many times you get back up. So, um, you know, we've been down in series. You know, we've we've lost in the third round, lost in the second round. Uh, when I look at that stick, it shows me perseverance. It shows me that you know things aren't going to go well, and it's and that's okay. Um, it, I think it's such a like grown up thing for a 24 year old to to do is take away something as what we thought was detrimental um, and just kind of keep it as a reminder, you know, things going to be okay. <laughs> I mean, I think it's really cool. Personally, I'm not an overly sentimental person, so I don't know if I would keep a broken stick for that long, but yeah, I think it's a really cool way for him to kind of take this and grow from it. And it's like we mentioned, he's people forget that he's a rookie. Like yeah. he's up for the Calder trophy. So it's that I know, stash, dude. <laughs> I know it makes him look like my dad. But yeah, like I, uh, I'm, I think it just shines light on how strong Skinner is mentally. And honestly, I think he's an extremely intelligent person from what I could tell as well, which is pretty cool, I guess. I, I heard, I think it was Tom Gazzola was mm-hmm. talking to Skinner before game six. And he walked into the room and nobody was interviewing him or anything. And he just called Tom over and they just shot the shit for 10 minutes. And apparently that's fucking weird for goalies because apparently goalies are super fucking weird. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Skinner's the least weird goalie ever. What fucking goalie was that that wouldn't talk to like reporters on game days? Was that? I don't know. Oh, God. Yeah. How many handfuls of them are there? I feel like it was like Mika Kiprasov or something. It probably was. But the only thing you need to know if you ever want to look up weird goalies, just go watch those interviews with Sergei Bobrovsky. Or sorry, Ilya Brzezgalov. That's what I meant to say. Oh, that I thought thought the same player. And as soon as he said it, and I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. No. Uh, Yeah. Briz was a, a weirdo. But uh, loved his time here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I thought it was, it was kind of a cool thing. Uh, I think the biggest thing that I'm excited about Stuart Skinner is the fact that, yes, he's a rookie. And again, if he rebounds as well as he says he does, I'm excited to see what it like he brings. And it was so cool to see a couple of different things before I leave the Skinner train is that I was kind of trying to take away some intangibles. And after the Oilers got el- eliminated, probably one of the most like toughest pulls of probably his entire like hockey playing career. Um, When Skinner was talking to the media right after the game, he was very calm, collected, um, answering things very honestly, uh, owning up to things, um, very emotionally stable. And then the other thing that kind of, I don't know if you noticed this, but in all the exit interviews that they, that they showed, there's what six players I want to say, there and then there is uh woodcroft and um uh holland obviously Stuart Skinner is the only one that showed up wearing oilers apparel he was still unshaven and he kept talking about how he's like i i want to skate today like those are three really big things of like this this guy's gonna double down next year I mean, I think I, I got the same vibe from Drysidle, and he said, like, we thought we would still be playing right now. Like, they're kind of just awestruck that they're not still. 
Yeah. And Drysaddle also hadn't shaved his beard and continues to look like a homeless man. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a, a great segue because I, I'm kind of intrigued because when you compare McDavid and Drysaddle sitting up at that table, I think you saw two opposite like mentalities of what we're used to seeing. Um, granted, some of the questions that were being thrown Connor's way were some of the dumbest questions that I've heard. Um, but Drysaddle felt very mature and like put together and motivated. Um, whereas I think Connor was also like still in that pissed off phase. Granted, it was 24 hours. So um, I don't know if you caught on to that. Yeah, I kind of felt the same vibes. And um, yeah, the stupid questions, honestly, they were pissing me off. I was sitting there and I was just like laughing because I was like, why the fuck would you ask him that? And I think it, like McDavid literally like vocally scoffed at like three or four separate questions. Just yeah. like, really? Are you fucking kidding me? You're asking me that question <laughs> right now? Like, yeah. oh, yeah, it was the stupidest shit. I was waiting for them to be like, uh, so which of your teammates do you think played the worst in the playoffs? <laughs> no shit. And like, yeah, that's the kind of shit I was expecting. Like, uh, I found it funny because, uh, yeah, the first question that he scoffed at was like your biological clock. <laughs> like, fuck me. Um, <laughs> he's like, I'm like, 26. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's like, dude, would you rather win it like sooner than later? <laughs> he's like, what the fuck? Of course I want to win. Um, but then, yeah, someone else asked him a question later and he had to remind him like, I'm 26. I've got a lot of hockey left, man. Like, I'm not worried about age. So it's just, I, I think he was just tired of like the, the stupid fucking questions coming back and forth. It was, it was kind of comical to, to see him just being fed up. Yeah. But I'm sure they're looking the forward to uh, an off season away from media. Mm-hmm. Instead of getting roasted by people, at least until they have fucking media day or whatever this summer. I'm sure McDavid <laughs> will be there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that kind of brings me. That, those are the only kind of things that stuck out. Um, Drysital apparently in talks with uh, Team Germany about heading over to uh, uh, to Latvia for the World uh, World Championships. I nearly said World Juniors, but um, Hyman's comments and Ekholm's comments. Obviously, Matthias Ekholm looks like a fucking boss. Um, he said something that stood out to me, and it echoes what you said earlier. And it kind of aligns with what we heard Ken Holland today. He's like, we need to learn how to play defense. And the kind of the, the real positive that I took out of it was the fact that he's like, when I was in Nashville, like we had this issue where we had to learn to give ourselves, like we had to capitalize on the few chances that we got and lock it down. He's like, we need to learn how to win games. One, nothing two one. Uh, we need to learn defense. And he said, the beautiful thing about it is we've got two of the best offensive players in the entire world. And that's something you can't just learn. That's something you can't just go by, but everybody has the ability to be better at defense. And it was just such a refreshing like mindset. And I'm really encouraged to know that that guy is going to be someone that's going to be like a full-time part of this lineup moving, uh, moving forward. Yeah. I'm looking for, or looking forward to a full season of echo being there as just a calming presence and hopefully sharing some of his, I don't know, uh, skills defensively with the rest of the team. Um, I think a player like Broberg next season could probably learn a lot from Ekholm. 
And obviously Bouchard has learned a ton. And I, I also loved his comments regarding Bouchard saying mm-hmm. that he just needs to play the way that he's meant to play, which is balls to the walls offense and not care about anything else. Because once he gets away from that, he starts to struggle more. So the more confidence he has to just go all out. And if he's able to give him that comfort, like that comfortable mindset that allows him to do that, then that's all he really needs to do while he's out there. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, yeah, it was really encouraging words from him. And then, uh, Hyman, uh, uh, he that's the most like emotion I've seen out of him since since I've seen him play for this team and I think he knows how close this team is I think I don't know I, have you watched Shorzy Sean at all probably uh, one of the funniest fucking shows ever I actually haven't I watched like the first couple seasons of Letterkenny and then I yeah. kind of just stopped <laughs> I think I needed some streaming service and I just stopped watching all that that's fair but anyways there's there's a scene in in the first season where uh they're talking about this like sh- the shitty ass hockey team and why they can't win and he said uh the the comment from the team was that um they uh they don't like to win and he's like no 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 he says the problem that they have is they don't hate losing and i thought it was like that's the first thing i thought of when I looked at everybody in these exit interviews, this is a team that hates losing. And it's the first time that I think we've seen it. So hearing Hyman's comments and how it's the, the shittiest he's felt, um, I'm really fucking excited for next season. I mean, going into next year, I think everybody's mindset should be, you know, we're winning the Stanley Cup or it's a failure of a season. Like, that's... Like that's the reality of the window that we're talking about. Like, um, there's no consolation prize. We're not going to feel any better. Like we have, this is the worst I felt after a, a loss in my career. I mean, the, you always have to look at it in the sense that if you're that mad that you lost, then you know you had a shot to win, and mm. that your team is, you, you guys are there. And it just, it sucks that you lost, obviously, but the more you hate to lose, I think it means that's how much closer you are to winning it all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, nothing really stood out to from uh, the the GM pressers. Sounds like there's some rumors floating around with uh, what what's going to happen with, with Ken Holland's last year in the deal. I know some comments kind of, Around his his tenure, I've heard some rumors that Steve Steos is going to take on a more prominent role. It, it, like Holland said himself, he's hoping to get him into a more assistant GM role. I'm I'm hoping that they're grooming him to kind of take things over because um, I know there's the shot of the old boys club, but we've seen a lot of people that have worked under Ken Holland come to be very very like well-rounded hockey executives in the NHL. At this stage of my life, I, I don't invest in green bananas. Just not sure if I'm going to be around long enough to see them ripen to be yellow. My only fear with that is, correct me if I'm wrong, Holland has mm. one year left on his deal. Correct. Right? Yeah. So he's going to play out this contract. Let's just say hypothetically, Steos comes in July 1st okay. of next year. He has to negotiate the dry sidle deal and in the next year, the McDavid deal. And I wouldn't put that on anybody because that's <laughs> going to be horrible 
because it doesn't matter what you sign those guys to. I feel like people are going to be angry one way or the other. And if you, God forbid, you fail to sign one of them or you have to trade one of them, like that's going to be just awful to even think about. So like, Mm -hmm. I obviously you're going to pay millions of dollars. So like, cool, whatever. But like you could easily ruin your entire career by just flubbing one of those two things. Yeah. Yeah. I I totally know what you mean, especially, um, especially right off the hop. So would you prefer Ken Holland stays in there? Maybe like, I don't know what the relationship really is between Holland and like the leadership core in Edmonton, but yeah, maybe if he signs on for one more year to like pretty much help negotiate those two deals, like I'm mm-hmm. assuming throughout all this season, there's going to be lots of negotiating with, uh, is it dry sidles contract? Dry up up. Yeah. 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 There's going to be negotiating all year so that if there is an extension in place, it's essentially signed on July 1st. Right. And similar with McDavid. So I'm sure Holland will be very much involved in that all season. And then say, for example, he signs on for just one more year, then he'll be very involved in the McDavid one as well. And this is obviously way thinking in the future. So we could cross that road and discuss this in a later podcast, but it's something to (laughs) think about and something that does concern me in the back of my mind that Holland's contract is up and he may be leaving um, a huge bag for somebody to have to deal with. Well, yeah. Um, I hope to not lose you on this reference, but uh, uh, I kind of see these two kind of things happening where you let a guy who you know is on the way out make deals and sign people to a problem that he's not going to have because he's leaving a la Peter Shirelli. Yeah, that sounds or, like Nico Koskinen to me. Or, <laughs> yeah, or um, not to go back to baseball, but like the Red Sox current GM, the first job that he had when he got his first ever GM job, Steve Steos was to come in and trade the MVP of the league. And that's... that's, Yes, there we go, Sean. So, like, it's a lose-lose situation I see with the Edmonton Oilers either way, um, unless they can find a way to overlap both of those things. Um, My hope is, too, like with you, that Steve Stales comes under the wing, he's involved in these conversations over the next year with Dreisaitl, and we see what happens. But Yeah, I highly... I expect him to be very, very involved in this. And to get a good feel for it. And right now, I believe he is the front runner to be the successor. Um, mm. And we'll see how yeah. that goes. What um Whatever happened to the Keith Gretzky talk? Wasn't he in talks to be our GM before we hired Holland? He, he was. And I, I, the way that Holland worded it today, it sounded like... Um, so his comments were that Steve Stales needs to take on more of an assistant GM role. And he said, Keith Gretzky, who is the assistant GM, um, he said he is more worried about him taking care of Bakersfield. And then he followed that up by saying Bakersfield needs to win first. So it was kind of like kind of pushing him off to the side to be like, hey, you you need to finish your job first. Just keep doing what you're doing. We need to succession plan here. So I have no idea. It was a very weird uh, worded sentence, but his, his whole kind of press conference was weird. It certainly sounds weird. I will give you a quick warning that my dog may bark in the next 30 seconds as my roommate just got home. So Ooh, exciting. Is, we'll see what happens. But anyway, <laughs> um, I got a question for you, though. Yeah. Following all these exit interviews, I've seen mm-hmm. a lot of talk from people talking about Dustin Schwartz. 
Ah. And I know this, I'm pretty sure this conversation comes up every single year. It came up quite a bit around Smith and Koskinen. What are your thoughts on Dustin Schwartz and why he still has a job with the Edmonton Oilers? Uh, he probably has some dirt on the organization or um, no, like honestly, I'm at the point with him is like, if he does not have a reason to leave now, well, I guess we've seen worse like stuff in the past. Um, I think he needs to go. And the biggest thing that I think needs to go is because there was a comment from Stuart Skinner that still fucking makes me mad. Um, they asked him in, I, I don't know if it was right after the game or if it was during the exit interviews, they were talking about the changes that Vegas was making uh, during the season and asking him uh, it, what adjustments that you felt the Vegas Golden Knights were doing in terms of how they're shooting, where they're shooting, and uh, like what changed that they found more success to to beat Stuart Skinner? And his response is like, "I'll have to talk to my coach Swartzy about that." Your fucking job, dude, is to notice that while it's happening. Like, what the fuck are you doing? I I just I don't know how much more of a red flag that can be. Yeah, I think it's probably time to move on, and it was probably time to move on five plus years ago. Yeah, um, but I don't know. I guess we'll have to see what happens there because somehow that man just keeps hanging on, and nobody seems to have the balls to let him go. And I don't know what is going on. Yeah, I mean, we've seen the progression that Stuart Skinner's taken, and it it comes down to talent. There has to be some kind of guidance that's helping him. Um, but. I yeah, I think I think the trains left the station, like you said, a couple of years ago. So well, at this point, like, I don't even know if he's a problem or anything like that, but mm -hmm. he certainly doesn't appear to be a solution either. So True. maybe bringing in somebody, somebody else may help the situation a little bit. That's all. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say, because yeah. goaltending can only be a problem with this team for the past 15 plus years and our, the goalie coach still is here for so yeah. long. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think that kind of takes care of all the Oilers stuff. Hey, I think that's yeah, a good, I think that's all we got for now on the Oilers. Um, there was a couple rather large things that have happened in the <laughs> NHL though over the past yeah. seven to 10 days or so as well. Yeah. Um, so the rich get richer in Chicago. Uh, I don't know about your your thoughts here, but as soon as I saw the Blackhawks logo pop up, I was like, the fuck, like they deserve this. Rigged. With Connor Bedard. Rigged. <laughs> I think everybody felt a little bit of rigged talk on that one. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's, I don't know, It's if it's a random as it's supposed to be, it's like hard to argue it, but personally, I think yeah. it was fucking horseshit. Yeah, I, I don't think Chicago should have had a pick to use in this draft, um, but That's whatever. A good point. So yeah, like, like, it's, that's my it issue with sucks, it, honestly. But like, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I don't want to get too into everything that's happened to Chicago, but I saw right. I saw a fun tweet. I think was um, what was it? Arizona tells uh, prospects to wear shorts for their interviews. <laughs> And they lose a first round pick, and then Chicago does what Chicago did, and yeah. they get Connor Bedard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, and I mean us 
complaining it's probably easy for chicago to point us the finger back at us and look at how many first round picks we had and our first overall picks we had and then wound up with Connor mcdavid but uh, almost similar odds too which was very very strange yeah i do feel a little bit hypocritical saying that kind of shit i'm not gonna yeah. lie as an oilers fan but at the same time i think everybody in the league was saying it similar yeah. to how they were saying it with Edmonton won. so it is, it is what it is but the one thing I'll give everybody that's saying rigged, I definitely don't think is. I know that there's the whole um, third party like audit system that goes into that. The NHL had, does like such a good job of shooting themselves in the foot. Um, did you watch like the whole production of it? Are you specifically referencing the Columbus thing? I'm talking about the Columbus thing and then they go to commercial, they come back and then all of a sudden before they've even announced a thing, there's a star on the board sitting next to Chicago before they've even announced number three. Like the whole thing was just fucking so poorly done. A little bit of a debacle. Turns out that the NHL isn't exactly much for uh, media. Who knew? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Um, speaking of Arizona, Nothing but uh, bad news coming out after the uh, uh, the vote went down yesterday. Three different proposals that would keep uh, Arizona in town for building a new arena. I've seen some wild shit, but this this team is done. I think we have to close the chapter uh, in in Arizona and move on. Uh, they can't keep playing in that that mullet arena. Um, I don't know. What's your initial thoughts? Well, my initial thoughts are. It kind of sucks. Obviously, they wanted to keep them there. But, like, I don't know what else they could do. They've tried everything they can. It's mm-hmm. not like they can sit here. They have no home. And yeah. you can already tell just by how fast information's coming out about this that they are, I think, extremely serious about relocation. And from what I can tell, I've seen rumors that it could be as early as the start of next season that they're out of Arizona and playing somewhere else. Shit. Wow. So and, and it's Houston, right? That's what you're hearing. No, actually, Salt Lake City is what I've been hearing. Oh, okay, interesting. So, yeah, I've heard, I've heard a couple different ones. The one that was interesting to me, um, which I definitely don't think should happen, but Mark Spector said you should pull this team and let them play in Scotiabank Arena, give Toronto a second team. Do I think that would make sense financially? Maybe. Maybe. I would like to see this second team win the cup before the Maple Leafs. That'd be hilarious. Um, But I think there's other places that deserve a team before Toronto gets a fucking second team. Like, I know there's been some people have talked about Quebec city already, but my roommate had a good point when I brought it up to him where we were talking about this yesterday. And he's like, why would they give Quebec city a team for essentially free when they'd be probably willing to pay like, 10 billion dollars for a franchise to come there like they i think uh, they would pay yeah. anything for a team so you might as yeah. well expand there instead and get them to pay that massive expansion fee yeah i i would rather I, i'm with you there i completely understand that i know that the uh personally I think the logical change is to move them into houston that's like what the third fourth biggest city in the united states um and you don't have to change like the the division they're in you don't have to realign things you don't have to it's a relatively close uh move compared to everywhere else uh but uh, i'm kind of with you i think there's there's 
there's better fan markets to touch on. Um, I, I just, I'm not having the fucking Atlanta conversation again. Yeah. Well, definitely not third fucking time. Um, yeah, definitely not Atlanta. And uh, yeah, I agree with all your points. I think Houston's probably makes the most sense whether or not they get it is a whole nother thing. With that being said, there's one other thing I wanted to bring up about this that I didn't put in my notes because I just saw it. Um, Apparently, Clayton Keller's dad responded to the tweet that announced all this, saying that Clayton Keller will not be coming to camp at the beginning of the year and that he is done with Arizona. So unless they move, he will not be playing for that franchise again. Holy shit. So whether or not you want to believe a tweet that came out of his dad... Um, what well, power his dad has over him i don't know if this is a paul marner situation well because i did see his like tweet clayton keller's and it was just like a like a frowny face and that was it i didn't see that that's wild yeah it was uh it was interesting um yeah honestly it was pretty embarrassing huh wow yeah I don't know, man. I do not know. Um, speaking of, let's let's jump into um, some more predictions. Uh, this this being the, the cup finals, cup finals, conference finals. We'll get to the the cup finals next time. But um, uh, let's just start. Uh, I want to get the Dallas Vegas predictions over. Sean, would you rather the Stars move on, or would you rather see the team that beat you actually advance? Um, I'd rather Dallas win because i think v vegas i was said vgk because that's what i have it written as um <laughs> i think vegas is filled with a bunch of whiny baby players and i want to see them lose oh yeah I, i'd like to see dallas they've got a good little story going on um wyatt johnston one of the filthiest goals in that game seven Whew. like everyone who said that holloway shouldn't be in the lineup eh, he's 20 years old man uh, that was a dirty dirty goal I'm just here to see Rupe Hints win the uh my trophy. Man, just another like emphasis of how good that 2015 draft was, hey? Yeah, he was uh he was a sneaky pick in that one, that's for sure. Yeah. How many games? Six. Six, yeah. I think that I makes mean, the most sense. Maybe seven, but I'm tired of calling every series that might be close seven. Yeah, I want Dallas to go, but it's going to be Vegas. I think I think it's going to be Vegas in five. Um, Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're on a bit of a tear right now, so we'll have to see what, what shakes out there. Uh, Florida, Carolina. Man, I keep betting against this Panthers team, but uh, this is, this is going to be a hell of a series, I think. Honestly, I know Carolina's there. Mm-hmm. If Bobrovsky keeps playing the way he is, I think Carolina can't score enough and they will lose. Yeah, that was that's going to be my big dilemma, too, is like. I, I don't know. I really don't know. I, I Just because I'd like to see it, um, I'm going to go Carolina in seven. Um, but I think you nailed the, the key to success there. Like it's going to dictate the series. I got I got Florida in seven on this one. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Um, see how things shake out there. Uh, with respect to the next episode, uh, Sean and I were talking. I think we're gonna we're gonna give it a beat. Uh, probably record, aim to record the next episode before the uh, before the NHL draft. Probably the week out. We'll recap the season, kind of go on uh, whatever happened in 
uh, the rest of the Stanley Cup finals. We'll have the awards uh, discussion out by then. And then, uh, obviously, if anything does come up, uh, we'll make sure we we put a, an emergency podcast up. So um, I think that's that's basically it. Hey, Sean. Um, yeah, pretty much. I have one last little note I just want to throw in here for fun. And that yes. is that the Edmonton Oil Kings drafted Joe Aginla, also known as Jerome Aginla's son. Ooh, so interesting. I saw many comments from Flames fans pretty much just saying fuck in the comments. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he was born in Edmonton and then played in, in uh, well, St. Albert, but born in, in Edmonton and played in Calgary. So maybe this is a, a little bit of uh, the hockey gods coming back to to reward us. We'll see. I, I mean, it's the Oil Kings. It doesn't have any um, impact on the Oilers, but we'll see. That could be interesting. Um, just want to wrap up things before we do end off and, and send a, a big thank you to everybody that's been sticking around with us the entire year, uh, just jumping in for our conversations. Uh, it's been so much fun to be doing this. Like, I, I forget that we're just two guys that like talking to each other about playing hockey. Never mind, like knowing that there's people that are out there listening and actually like giving you feedback of what they're saying or chiming in on your own thoughts. So, um, yeah, from, from Sean and I to you guys, thank you very much. Um, but yeah, we'll give it a couple weeks. Hopefully Oilers fans around can take a breath and look forward to what's coming ahead.